0: Welcome to the Royal Shakespeare Company. This is Interval
1: Drinks, a podcast in which Royal Shakespeare Company resident artists talk to people who have inspired them over drinks.
0: Opening a show, it's just the sort of terror of, is this conceivable? I can remember a sequence of words in front of other humans. I can remember what to do. I cannot fall over. It just might not be actually possible. Fear is like
1: power rangers it's like when all the power rangers come together and make one big power ranger because it's great and people will have a great time and people deserve to have a great time damn it (laughs) have you collected your drinks then let's begin catching up in the interval this week we have Minnie gale with fellow actor pippa nixon Hello and welcome to Interval Drinks. My name is Minnie Gale. I'm an actress and I'm currently at the Royal Shakespeare Company and I'm playing Queen Margaret, whose journey I started in Henry VI Part One, open rehearsal project right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, five months pregnant and I went through her journey through Henry VI, II and Three, which we called Rebellion and Wars of the Roses and finished up as the cursing old hag in uh, Richard III um, and I now have a nine-month-old baby and I am talking with Pippa Nixon who I have just admired so, so deeply for so many years. It's not only your um, incredible prowess as an actor that I admire, but it's also the way in which you've conducted yourself through um, the merry-go-round of the industry and the way you live your life. I saw you as Lady Anne, and then I saw you as the bastard in King John, Mm. and as you walked on as the bastard, you dropped me a wink um, (laughs) in the stalls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I I loved you from there on in. Really, um, Pippa has a, a huge career on both stage and screen and radio. Um, so I'm, I've tried to whittle it down to the highlights, um, which is quite quite hard actually. You've not only performed at the Royal Shakespeare Company, you've also performed at other major institutions like the national theater where you were in sunset at the villa talia by alexi k campbell and a a wonderfully evil woman in ocean at the end of the lane you've also played at the globe um, ariel in tempest and Hermia in Midsummer Night's Dream and also Jessica in Merchant of Venice for which you were nominated for the Ian Charson Award. On top of that your work at the RSC has included Days of Significance uh, by Roy Williams, Cardenio where you played Dorothea, um, you've also played Lady Anne as I said the bastard in King John uh, yeah. and an absolutely seminal Rosalind um, and of course Ophelia um, which is an experience that we share. Absolutely. And I remember sitting in a cottage on Waterside, um, which is where the actors sometimes live, uh, during the RSE seasons with you, the first time I met you, I think, and we started chatting about Ophelia. Mm. And I thought, how many people in the world can actually have this connection and this mm. shared experience of that role mm. in this theatre? Um at, at this time in our lives, so mm. it was a pretty amazing moment mm. um, so um, <laughs> this is pippa nixon um so I, I'm going to launch in okay. to my first question, which is what is your interval drink of choice
0: um, Well, mens, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction that that uh, It's a privilege to be here speaking with you today um. I'm currently drinking water, which is not my interval drink of choice. Um, I mean, I don't know. I never have a chance to drink at an interval because I'm probably talking to a friend that I'm with and then miss the moment because you've only got 15 minutes. But recently, when I went to the theatre a couple of weeks ago, me and a friend started uh, pre theatre with a bottle of Prosecco didn't get through it and so then said to the barman we just hold this for us for the interval and then came back and polished it off in the interval in 15 minutes which is pretty good going so I guess it's a bottle of Prosecco to share (laughs)
1: that's quite impressive (laughs) do you have any uh Any interval rituals, you know, as an actor, is there anything that you do in your dressing room or that you do before the show or any kind of rituals Mm. that you have or does it
0: vary? That's a really good question. Um, I guess it depends on the show, doesn't it? And it depends on your responsibility in the show. Um, I think sometimes the ritual is you're getting your hair done or, or changed into a different costume and you've only got that sort of period of time. But I'd say... Most of the time it's just go- going back into your dressing room and, you know, refreshing yourself in terms of being able to have a drink or have something to eat if you just need to sort of maintain your energy, but keeping yourself in that space of keeping the play alive in that 15-minute, in that 20-minute period where the audience are refreshing themselves. So it, it's very dependent on the play. I, I remember for Rosalind, I think, you know, I just would just go back and probably lie, (laughs) lie down on the floor and, you know, have a drink of water and just like recharge my batteries for for 10 minutes and then like spring back onto that stage. Um, And and then maybe it also depends on if you, if you're doing a comedy or if you're doing a tragedy, because also when when we did The Importance of Being Earnest, I had Noah, my daughter who was about the same age as boo now nine months and so I just literally whacked her onto my boob in that time do you know what I mean um which (laughs) that was that was an adventure and a half but yeah um it it's very dependent on the on the show with what you do with that time but it's never wasted I don't think that that 15 minute interval for the actor yeah
1: that actually brings me on to um another sort of burning reason that I have asked you here to do this Pippa is that mm. um an- another thing that I admire you for so 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 much is that you did very famously play Gwendolyn in the West End mm. with such a young child and I just uh, saw you as such a trailblazer for that um and I I really want to throw light on that experience Mm. partly also because it really chimes with mine Mm. going into Henry VI part two in February with a 10-week-old and I remember going to you at the time and I was absolutely distraught because Margaret is the role of a lifetime and I thought as soon as I got the revised dates through because it had been postponed due to COVID, and we we'd done part one as I was pregnant, um, and I thought, you know, I, I can't possibly do this. Mm. And I remember talking to you, and um, you just being so so encouraging about doing both, having kids and being an actress, and I I was just so massively inspired by your experience. As Gwendolyn and and mm. everything that you fought for and everything that you've done for other women and men in the industry um, who have um, especially young families. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that experience, mm. um, you know, how, how old Noah was when you started rehearsals, what you mm. felt you needed To have in place for that to happen once you got into performance what what you had in place in order to make that work Um, and i'm sure we'll get into the trials and tribulations and the things that were hard and the and the things that were joyous
0: it's funny isn't it when things are set in motion and and it's wonderful you know that it it inspires and can open doors for other women but i feel like i do need to say in some ways it, it happened accidentally an actress dropped out and Michael Fentiman, who was directing it, who I've known for many years and is also a good friend, phoned me saying, Nixon, is there any way that you can come in and do this role? We're starting rehearsals in like 10 days. And I was like, I've just had a baby. She's like three months. And he was like, it's fine, we can make it work, we can make it work. And I was thinking, fuck. Because in in my head, backtracking before all that, with being pregnant, I was absolutely terrified of how being a mum and being an actress would work. You love this work so much. It's such a part of you, like a relationship is part of you. And I didn't know how it was going to fit with a baby. And so I probably spent seven months of the nine months pregnancy really, really anxious and terrified about how is this going to work? Is this going to change? A lot of things for me. And then those first few weeks are just so disorientating and sort of crazy. Um, and I remember, you know, my agent coming through with lots of e- emails going, you've got a casting for this, you've got a casting for that. And then having to phone them just to go, I- I'm really sorry, I literally cannot think straight. And then this phone call came out of the blue, which probably was the, be- the best thing that could happen because it just like made my brain go, what? Could this work? And I literally said to Michael, just give me 10 minutes, put the phone down and spend <laughs> just 10. Andy was like, my husband was, was um, in the kitchen at the time. And he was like, looking at me like, what the fuck's going on? And I was like, I think I've just been offered a West End job. And he was like, you've got to do it. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to be able to do this? And he was like, we'll make it work. And I was like, okay, okay, right. Okay. We'll make it work. And then I just was like, what do I need? And I was like, well, I'm breastfeeding. She's three months old she's like completely attached to me what I would need is probably a break every two hours in rehearsals to be able to feed her I'm then going to need a room for her to go into and I'm going to have to ask my mum whether she would be willing to give up not only a few weeks but probably a few months um to be able to support me okay let's speak to them mum and dad were like you know amazingly supportive and were like okay yeah We'll do whatever needs to be done and help. And then I thought, well, I'm going to need Noe to be with me in the theatre. Um, so therefore, probably she's going. To, we're going to need a separate dressing room because I don't want it to be disruptive to other actors. And so I started just very, very quickly, actually, formulating a list in my head with the things that I knew that I needed to be able to make it work. And weirdly, I wasn't even concerned at all about the acting side of it. <laughs> that, that I was like that's going to take care of itself so I think this whole situation worked because there was a, a quite an urgent need to yeah. get an actress to fill this and very kindly Michael really wants me to do it um, and also I think with The Importance of Being Earnest it's such a brilliant ensemble show where all the actors are like on for a scene and then off and then on for a scene and then off um, yeah. if it had been something like Hamlet and you were given the the role of Hamlet. I think I would yeah. have just gone. I, I can't. I can't do that. It's too demanding, time-wise, and it's too demanding of my head right now. But this was like the most perfect play with those sort of intervals in it that I needed, and it sort of just flowed from there. And so, like with that, with my costume, they designed it like we were wearing like proper corsets, but the costume designer made me a corset that literally have flaps that I could like pull down so Brilliant. I could breastfeed. Yeah. And yeah. It, and then I and a friend of mine took this amazing, extraordinary picture of me, you know, in full sort of wild hair and costume with Noah breastfeeding, you know, in, in my corset Brilliant. and, like bodice and stuff. It was yeah. that that, yeah. that was amazing. And then the practicalities, you know, it was a bit bonkers, but it worked. Um I mean, I don't quite know what my performance was like. I think I was probably quite zany because I had literally had lack of sleep and just, you know, doing this bonkers production. But it was probably one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. Yeah, and then I just yeah. had Noah upstairs in the top dressing room. We've got like this travel cot under, you know, your dressing table and, yeah, she she'd just sleep in there for evening shows.
1: You just reminded me of one of my sort of favourite and craziest moments of um, what have been so many of Henry Six's as Margaret. I remember I was in, you know, two dresses and armour, a breastplate, (laughs) shoulder plates and uh, kind of like leg armour and a sword belt and a sword with a crown on. And I was (laughs) like running up the corridor and I ran to the quick change area and I said to the dressers who are great have become great friends quick girls i need to get the breastplate off now because i've got to go up and express milk because they feel like (laughs) tennis balls under here and i knew that i only had a certain window of time to go and express um in this kind of full battle gear mud and blood you know shoulder shoulder plates um go and express in my dressing room before i had to get back to kill york you know Mm. to, to kind of torture york horribly and you just reminded me of that, that you know, in between scenes for that, I, I would be expressing. Uh, I knew this would segue into, into more of a conversation um, mm. because uh, I, I just think that what you did was extraordinary and I, I'm not sure I,
0: I'd have had this experience myself had it not been for you. There's so much to say on this subject, but there's so much to juggle, isn't there? And it's actually, I think the acting side of it You know, both of us have been in this industry for a long time and we've had huge amounts of training and so that naturally and beautifully kicks in. So for me, the acting part of it, going on stage, was like the easiest thing. It was all the stuff behind stage that was the thing that had to take so much thought and and sort of planning and where my heart was really, in a way. Um, But I'm very thankful for all of the experience I've had Um, at home on the stage but and I do feel at home on the stage as I know that you do you know it is like a home totally it felt like the 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 place
1: I could breathe my only thinking time once we had eight show weeks of of the Henry's and we were rehearsing Mm. Richard III in the day I'd also go back in the dinner breaks to relieve my partner with with the kids and sometimes lunch times and then I'd be expressing at lunch as well so the only time I had to to kind of create margaret and richard iii was in the wings sometimes before yeah. i went on in henry the sixth yeah. i didn't dare learn my lines before um too early because i was pregnant with um my second child didn't dare learn them until the last minute because i thought if, if i don't get to do this job you know if the birth is complicated or there are complications with the baby you know i'll be just so heartbroken yeah. not being able to do it so i learned them when she was a newborn so I would say I learnt my lines you know in the small hours of the morning for Mm. Margaret all the way through those those three plays and I have to say that I think it makes you more focused
0: yeah definitely
1: it felt like I had to get my spear out you know I I felt like (laughs) Boudicca you know climbing up a mountain with this spear and just going we can do this yeah and I was determined to to prove that you could. And like you, it wasn't a position that I chose. Uh, the dates were changed. You know, it was delayed because of the pandemic pre-pregnancy. And I thought I can't put my life on hold mm. to maybe miss out on having a second child.
0: Mm. And
1: also on the back of a pandemic, I felt like the work was was thin. Yeah. money was tight. I yeah. uh, had a family to support. And prior to that, I, I don't know what your experience might be of this. But I remember being at a party and talking to a really wonderful director who I admire so much. And uh, they said, oh, where have you been, you know, for the last four years? And um, this was before my second child. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, um, well, you know, and I got talking. I said I'd had children. He said, oh, oh, that's it. And I said, well, no, actually, the work started to drop off before my first child. And and I simply can't put a big tick next to that statement because actually we then got talking about age and actresses and, and actually it was quite a relief because he was the one who brought it up, this blind spot, I think of it as a blind spot in the narrative. And I think it happens to men too, actually, that you, you're you the ingenue and then suddenly you're the the mum or in my case yeah. the wrinkled withered hag that <laughs> Margaret is called in... In in Richard the Third, which I love. I, I love to play hags. And he said, oh, it must be your age. And I had actually been up for a couple of parts for him. And one of them was a mother of one who was much younger than me, probably about a decade younger than me. And he said, oh, you just look too young. Just look too young to play that part. Uh, and another character where I was the right age and uh again the same thing was said and that's very flattering but at the same time i thought wait a minute like what's happened Mm. to our perception of what a mother is or Mm. what a woman in her 40s behaves like looks like wears yeah
0: is i find it fucking irritating that thing of like oh where have you been And, uh, you know, I've, I've got children and there's someone being like, oh, that's it. I mean, that, like, I find so infuriating and probably touches on sexism for me. Because actually, work has been very funny for me, certainly throughout the pandemic and now. But that's nothing to do with my children. And actually, I don't think work slows down because you have children, that's entirely up to you as the individual of what you say yes to, or what you say no to. I think your parameters of the work you do changes. So, you know, there's things like I'm, I'm not going to go and do a play that's outside of London. I just don't fancy doing that right now. And also that doesn't really work for us as a family. I could film outside of London, but that's different because the commitment of a filming schedule is very different to a theatre schedule that doesn't stop work coming in and out to me. That's just me choosing yes or no. But I think, you know, there are always barriers for us in work, as men or women, and there's always something that you're coming up against in our industry, and it's how you respond to that. So for me, in terms of I feel like work has definitely slowed down post-pandemic, but I think that's now to do with self-tapes personally. So, like, before the pandemic, I would say that there was... 35 percent 40 percent of meetings were taped 60 percent 65 was going into a room I'm much better more comfortable going in a room and meeting someone and having a conversation and reading from a script tapes for me feel like absolute stabs and shots in the dark Um, there's absolutely no feedback there's no collaboration you only have yourself and maybe a friend if you're lucky enough to be able to get a friend to come and you know, read opposite you, to sort of bounce ideas off. That's just the way in which our industry is going at the moment. So like 95%, maybe even 98% of meetings now. And even for theatre, our first entry in is doing a tape. And I would say as well, before the pandemic, maybe there would be between eight and ten of you going up for one role. But now with tapes, you could have, there's an endless amount of people going up Mm. for one part. So I agree with work slowing down. I don't think it's anything to do with children. Is it an age thing? I don't know. Because again, I look at you or I think of myself, I don't feel like I look the age I am. I certainly don't dress the age that I, that I am supposed to be and whatever that the fuck looks like. But um, what is that? Exactly. What thing. is that? What <laughs> is that perception? Because also being in your 40s now is different from being in your 40s like 50 years ago. Like when our, when our mums were 40, that is a very different feel from now when, when we're 40. Why? And also, why
1: does a woman need to dress as a 40-year-old woman and what, what is that dress code? Yeah, I don't and, know. And I do men know. have that as well? I remember Catelyn Moran talking in her book, How to Become a Woman, you know, how to check... <laughs> If something is is sexist or not is is you know mm. it, is it happening to the men I don't know maybe men feel that too that they need to somehow dress like an an adult beyond a certain age I don't know so to to move on to the Shakespeare related side of, yep. the, of the podcast I mean personally I think that Shakespeare. Uh, A lot of what we've been talking about is within the plays, you know, make the doors upon a woman's wit, it will out at the window. Is it the casement? No, you know better than I do. I only understudied it. Uh, (laughs) What is it? Make the doors upon a woman's wit and it will out at the keyhole, stop that and twill out at the casement, shut that and twill fly with the smoke out at the chimney.
0: Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say
1: that's very accurate of him. What, what was your first encounter with Shakespeare like? When did you fall in love with it?
0: So my first encounter was through school and doing... Um, I had the most amazing drama teacher when I was from, from the age of 12 and I did, like, lander exams. And so for those sort of speech and drama exams, you had to always do a Shakespeare monologue as well as something contemporary. So that was my first encounter with Shakespeare. But I feel like... It's taken me a long time to really fall in love with Shakespeare. Not to be confused with that I didn't like Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare and and, and I think I deliberately set out in my career to work at the RSC and the Globe um, from a young age. That, for me, was like the pinnacle of work. But it's taken me, I think, until doing that role in, in King John and then Rosalind to, like, find this way of almost becoming seamless with Shakespeare's language. It took Mm. many, many, many shows before that for that to happen. Something weird and magical happened with those two parts. Before that, it it always felt like there was maybe just this ever-so-slight veil between me and the language. Mm. And then when it came to The Bastard, somehow the challenge of playing that role and having to, like, Really, find me in her because we we made Mm. made that character a a female um, and own her and inhabit her. The language became my language, and that's when Mm. I fell in love properly, Mm. addicted. Mm. Yeah, something incredible happened, like a a process of osmosis. It was in my blood and my heartbeat. Mm. And I could just speak that language and play. You know, I remember Sis Berry always saying it's like jazz, and, and it was only then yeah. that I understood what she meant. There are obviously rules, there are there is a technique, but you can't just have those things. It's too yeah. It's too rigid just with those things. You have to have play and jazz. And it was those two parts that enabled me to do that. I, it's like I've just found this freedom within the technique and I could bend and stretch and pop and, yeah, yeah. rock and roll, man. It was like rock and roll yeah. for me. So that has stayed with me. I feel like that gift has stayed with me and I could pick up any Shakespeare, I think, and be able to play. I always talk about it, think
1: of it as the the, um, uh, the fire of inspiration and the ice of technique. Um, mm. and trying to, trying to marry those two things. I'm kind of like a massive geek for technique. I wasn't when I first started. I will just, you know, th- throw instinct at it. it. In terms of technique, it, is there any go-to um, exercises that you employ? And do you employ the same ones? You know, have you got a sort of checklist? I mean, I, I would say that I have, but it's kind of evolved.
0: Definitely. I, I think I'll always start with the meter, and I will mark it out like religiously throughout the entire text. And how would you describe that to someone who
1: doesn't know what that is or what that means?
0: I suppose one of the first things within Shakespeare that you will learn is that there is a rhythm, and that is called iambic pentameter, which is Shakespeare writes. It's almost like a natural heartbeat to the line. So there is a And you mark that with almost like a little hyphen on the five beats in that line that he, in some ways, puts the stress. And again, with the jazz, you can play around with that, but it just helps formulate a structure and a technique to keep you within his natural writing rhythm. Um, So that's probably the first thing I will mark the whole way through the text. And I'll even do it with the dialogue opposite me to see if I pick up Mm. the iambic from them. So that's probably the first thing. And then I will probably circle the last words of each line and the first words of each line, just again as useful things to look out for to see if that interests me to see if um, the stress falls there. I mean, it often will on the end of lines anyway, and sometimes it does at the beginning. That's helpful. Um, I will always write besides Shakespeare's text it out in my own understanding mm, yeah. and language. Again, that's just helpful to get it into my bones and my body. So that's probably the, my first places that I will always start at with mm. any. Shakespeare, a wonderful voice coach told me um, when you first come across a play that maybe they don't know so well, which I did with King John actually, I found King John pretty impenetrable when I first read it. Um, I got the audiobook off Audible and I listened to it as I read it and I found that really helpful just to like lift the text and make it sort of come to life. Please take your seats.
1: The performance is about to resume. So uh, it is just as always a, a total pleasure talking to you. I could talk to you for, for days and days about this. So, my last question is: who would you like your next interval drink to be with and why?
0: I think it should be us, Minnie, because we've still got so <laughs> much to talk to talk about. Yeah. But my answer is Noah, my daughter. Because um, I am so excited for the time when I can bring her to her first big show. I don't think she's yeah. quite ready yet, but she's close. Because I I was just thinking about this question. And uh, it's probably a bit cheesy saying that, but actually it's true. I think I'm just going to be so excited about bringing her and then you know yeah. having that interval because the experience of the theatre as a child is just so magical mm-hmm. it's so invested it's so real to them it like literally galvanizes all of your senses doesn't it and it it changes yeah. you I feel like you remember it for the rest of your life and I'm one of four and as kids we would go once a year sort of it's Christmas to like one of the big musicals And we all absolutely loved it. And then, you know, when we were doing car journeys, going on holiday or whatever, we would listen to those albums in the car. And I feel like we still talk about that or have that as a shared experience now. And, you know, my brothers, you know, one of the first things I do when they come to London is like book a show or take their like (laughs) latest partner to go and see something that we probably saw as kids. It's just so impressionable. Um, So I think, yeah, Noe, be my my interval buddy I think that's a very good i choice. can't wait to, to to share that to share that world with her
1: i think one of my most rewarding <laughs> moments was when i did, did wendy and peter pan and we we're doing the jig at the end mm. and my little niece had come and i knew she was wearing pink ballet tights um and uh as we were as we were dancing i looked down the central aisle and i just saw these little legs going from, from going from being sat down to stood up and I yeah. watched her kind of like walk halfway down the central aisle like she wanted to just jump join in. jump mm. on and join in. Yeah. And the, yeah, the sense of belief is kind of yeah. second to none, isn't it? It's, amazing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, if we can capture that in theatre, that's, that's the answer, isn't it? And as adults, those shows that do that to me ch- change me, you know. It does feel like
1: a lot of these things are such bigger bigger topics um, and I feel you know so happy to have even just opened the door a, a crack but I do think that there's so little light shed on people who are attempting to do what we're doing and the more light shed on it the, the more likely we are to kind of get things in place to facilitate and to make it just that bit easier um, mm. and I've never felt so creative as at this time, I don't know. Don't know about you. I
0: feel like the same. Absolutely the same. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Minnie.
1: Join us for the next episode when writer Nina Seagull will be getting a round in for writer and theatre maker Tim Crouch. Remember, you can listen again to past episodes on the Royal Shakespeare Company website. Just search RSC Interval
0: Drinks.